Good morning. It's good to have you guys here. I, I love this uh, most recent text deal for prayer that we have uh, because of one thing. It's a very selfish thing, but, but if I'm like into my message and it's not going well, you can like text, like help him Jesus. You can text that in and there's a room full of people that'll be praying for him to help me. So um, you're you already started, I haven't even started my message yet, and you're texting, help him, Jesus, I can see that. Maybe it's a premonition, maybe you talked to the first crowd or something, but, but, but I love the fact that, that uh, both services, every single Sunday, there are people that are praying throughout the entire service. They're praying for you and for me and for what God wants to do, and they would pray for any specific need you have in the moment as well. So I love that. Over the holidays, Marie gave me a book titled Endure by Alex Hutchinson. It covers the, the physiology and the psychology of human endurance. Uh, and so, so he looks at all these aspects of, of the limits of human endurance. Um, for example, if you want to run a marathon, what is the limit of your endurance? If you reach the, the ultimate apex of your endurance, what would it look like with a marathon? Or maybe the MS-150, the ride from Houston to Austin, 150 miles. Maybe climbing Mount Everest. Maybe just laboring outdoors in your yard throughout the summer. What what are the limits of your endurance? How can you grow those and increase those? What is the absolute ultimate? And he says there are these seven areas that would affect that in physical endurance. He says one of them is just your capacity for pain. How much pain can you endure before you quit, shut down, that's it? If your capacity is really low, then you shut down early, and there's a whole lot left you could have done, but you don't get there. If it's high, you get a lot closer to it. Then he said there's this, there's this aspect of, of muscle. You actually have to have enough healthy muscle as well with endurance. You have to be able to process oxygen. It's a huge part of endurance. How much can you process? How much can you grow that process uh, of oxygen? How much can you control the body's heat? Because if your body heats up, then it shuts you down. So there's this heat control deal. There's this thirst part of it. You have to have fluids and what kind of fluids and how much can you take in? Fuel. You have to eat before, if it's a long event, maybe during, what kind of fuel. Then finally, just the brain, the human mind. And you can, you can think some thoughts, and actually this is proven over and over. You can think some thoughts, actually change your endurance capacity by thinking some thoughts. I have these seven things, and I've, I've always loved the concept of endurance. I, I wanted to be a, a track and field star, so I was going to be a 100-yard dash man, uh, way too slow. So I was going to star in the 400 way too slow, going to start in the mile, way too slow, uh, going to uh, start in the 10K, six miles, too slow, marathon, could never get that far, so, but, uh, so I study endurance for other people that want to run faster and run farther. (laughs) It's a fascinating subject, but I touch on it today because there's so much in the book of Revelation we've already read where God speaks about endurance. In fact, very early on, it's chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. It's John writing. He says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and God's kingdom and the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. So right off the bat, he's saying that we're called to this life of endurance. And then we've been looking at these, uh, these seven churches. We've looked at five of them already. And two of them, Ephesus and Thyatira, uh, Jesus was complimenting them, applauding them, among other things, for their endurance. You read about those two churches, and he's applauding them about some stuff, and one of the things is, you're enduring, you're enduring way to go. But there are two churches, Smyrna and Sardis, that among other things, he challenges them and corrects them and says, you need to endure. These two churches, he's saying, among other things, some, one thing you have to do, one thing, is you just have to endure. And so today, we're going to look at, at the sixth church in the ser- series and sequence of seven, and to this church, 
Jesus has just one command, just one thing he says to them, and it is, it is to endure. It is to, per, to persevere. It is to hold on and to keep on. And so this is where we're going today, so you can try to, to track with me before you start texting your Help Him Jesus stuff. One place we're going is, what does it look like to endure in following Jesus? What, would, what could you look at in the mirror and say, I, I am enduring in the way he imagined in following him? What would it look like? What would your life look like? The second piece we'll look at is, is how can I grow my endurance? If there are at least seven physical factors about growing physical endurance, are there any factors that help me grow my spiritual endurance? And there are two. There are two that we'll look at today. Probably the two most important ones. And so um, this is... Um, this is going to be the, the sixth church we'll look at. And again, I want to say, every word is written very personally to you and to me. Very personally to you and to me. So Revelation 3, 7 says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. That's his letter to the church in the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is, once again, as all these churches are, what is now Western Turkey. Philadelphia is located right here. It was a city that was known as the gateway to the east. There were these trade routes that crossed there, gateway to the east. It was prosperous around agriculture and commerce. It, it, was, um, it was apparently built on um, uh, some fault zones because there, there are earthquakes around that entire region, but especially right there where Philadelphia is. In fact, in AD 17, so about 80 years before this was written, there was this massive earthquake that leveled the entire city. I mean, utterly destroyed, had to rebuild the entire city from this earthquake. So, so they had that in their life and probably in their future as well. And then the name of the, of the city, Philadelphia, means, and you may know this because of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, it means the city of brotherly love. And so it was founded by one of two brothers, two powerful brothers, and one brother who founded it named it for his other brother because they had this deep bond of love and loyalty to each other. And so it was named this city of brotherly love. Now, whether or not they would live that way or not as a city uh, would remain to be told. Likewise, Pennsylvania as well. I uh, hope you're not from there. I probably, that's off script and I'm text right now. Help him, Jesus. He's already off script on this. <laughs> so, so, so that's the city, the city of Philadelphia. Again, earthquakes are this deal. There's this insecurity. There's, this, there's not this sense of there's any like, permanent structure in this place. And then, then this is from Jesus, and he says, this is from the Holy One. In other words, he's saying, by mean holy, I'm other than. I am other than, like God the Father is other than. I'm other than, and I'm completely righteous. I have complete righteousness. This is from the one who is holy and the one who is true. In other words, I'm the one who is trustworthy. There's a point in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the truth. This is the one who's holy, he's other than, and he's fully righteous, and he's the one who is trustworthy, who is all truth. And he's the one, it says, who holds the key of David. So the key of David back in Old Testament days was simply the one who held the key that had control over the royal household. That person who had the key could determine who entered and who did not enter the royal household. That was the one who had the key of David. So by saying, Jesus saying, I have the key of David, he's saying, I'm the one who has control over the kingdom of heaven. I'm the one who, who has the, the key that opens the door of heaven or closes the door of heaven. I'm the one, I'm the only one, I can open it, and when I open it, no one can close it. But when I close it, no one can open it. I'm that one. I'm the one who has power over 
who has access to the kingdom of heaven. So, so that's, that's about, that's the city, that's about Jesus. Now let's go on about the church itself and see what he says to them. Verse 8, I know all the things you do, and I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they're Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you're the ones I love because you've obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. So he says to them, I've opened a door for you that no one can close. He's saying to these followers of Jesus, I've opened the door of heaven for you. Because I've opened it, no one can close it in front of you. No one can take that away from you. I've opened the door of heaven. And for them, it would have this special meaning because he refers to the synagogue there in Philadelphia as Satan's synagogue, which means simply that the people there have rejected Jesus. There's a place in in John uh, chapter 8 where where Jesus says to some people in the synagogue that are rejecting him, he's saying that, that your father is Satan. Now, you're from Satan because you've rejected me. So now he's, he's called this synagogue, Satan's synagogue. And so these Christ followers would have most certainly been expelled from the synagogue. They would have been excommunicated. They would have been kicked out. Uh, the, talk about the city of brotherly love, not too much in that synagogue. Uh, the door of the synagogue was closed to them. It would have cost them greatly relationally and financially. They had such a tight community. If you could go back to that time, it was... It was so close and so intimate. Families would be gathered, to there, gathered together there. Uh, families would collectively become a big family there. Th- this, was, this was the heart of one's relational life. And when one trusted Jesus, which is now the church, then they were kicked out. Of it. They lost all that. Many times they would lose the relationship with father or mother or sons or daughters, or even, even a spouse. They'd be kicked out of that. There would be this financial cost because so much business was just simply naturally orbiting around this synagogue community, and they'd be outside of that. There'd be this huge financial cost, so it cost them. And Jesus is saying to them, you know what, guys? I understand what it's cost you. The door of the synagogue has been closed to you, but guess what? The door of heaven is open to you, and there's going to be no comparison. Man, if one's going to be closed, one open, this is the way you want it, guys. You can handle the closed synagogue door, but, but no, you've got the door of heaven opened for you. I've opened it. No one can shut that door. And then he says, you have, you have little strength. And I'm not sure what that meant. I don't know if they were beat down, weary, tired, worn, if the lack of relationship strength had hurt them, if financial struggles had hurt them. But, but he says, you have very little strength. And then he says, yet you have obeyed me and you did not deny me. You've obeyed me. You did not deny me. And then he has absolutely, in the entire letter, no criticism or correction of them. Now, there are seven letters, seven churches, and seven cities. Only two of them is that true of. This one in Smyrna. Only two places does he have no correction for them. Which This is a huge implication, folks, around this. He's saying you don't have very much strength, so you've only done two things. You've just pulled off two things. You've obeyed me. You've not denied me. And then he has nothing to correct. He doesn't say to them, you've done these two things. Well, way to go. I've got a third thing for you. I've got a fourth thing. I've got ten more. He's just, well done. Well done. There's this, there's this massive implication that if you can do only two things, he's saying, 
then obey Jesus with just obedience and do not deny him. Give him this absolute allegiance. I mean, you are, have total allegiance to him. If you can only do two things, do those things. And this allegiance would have this piece of it that it's not just a, a verbal declaration when people ask, say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. It, it's a verbal and actions as well. In, in Titus, Titus 1, 16, it says, such people claim that they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. And so Jesus is saying to this church in Philadelphia, you guys are getting it right. You're, you're obeying me, and you have not denied me by your words or your actions. You, you're living this allegiance to me. And it's that, that, that's it. That, that's all you have to get. That's all you have to do. There's no add-on. So I looked at the rest of Scripture to see if that would is the essence of the gospel. And, and when someone trusts Jesus and he forgives their sins and he enters their life and begins to live in and through them, uh, it, it is the very essence. In Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus would say, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. God will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God. In other, in other words, seek to live under the kingship of God. Under the leadership of God, under the rule of God, in other words, seek to obey. Like He's the king and you're, you're the subject. Seek to obey. And, and then live righteously. In other words, that's just part of obedience. And he'll give you everything else you need. There's this, this obedience, this allegiance to the king. That, that's all he ever asked for. We talked in some weeks back about Jesus saying the most important commandment is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and so I wanted to help you see how even this lines up to that. Because there's a place where Jesus says, um, John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, so in other words, if you're doing the first commandment, if you're loving God, if you love me, then you will obey me. Because obedience is just an expression of that love for Jesus. When you or I become a follower of Jesus out of love and gratitude and devotion and allegiance then, then when our heart is ticking right, then there's this desire just, just to obey him. And so that, that all links in with it. And so it's all part of this one thing that matters, loving God. It, it gets expressed by obedience and by allegiance to God. So there's a profound statement to you and me here around that. If, if, if you ask God, what, what would you want of me in placing faith in your son Jesus? It boiled down to the same thing. Just this, this obedience, this allegiance to Jesus. So he gave only one command to the church then. His only command is to hold on to what you have to endure. Hold on to what you have to endure. That's the one command that he gives to them. So, so what, is, what does endurance look like following Jesus? It means that, that I could look in the mirror on a given day and, and realize that right now I'm I'm uh, giving him my obedience and my allegiance right now. That's what endurance would look like. That's what spiritual endurance would look like. I look in the mirror and see, yeah, that's, that's, for, that's where my day is running. I'm giving him obedience. I'm giving him allegiance today. That's what it would look like. But what I've found, and if you've been following Jesus, uh, not every day is like that. Too many days I look in the mirror and I can't say that, that that's true of me. So, so how could I grow in endurance of doing those things? What could I do in my life to, to position myself where more and more often I look in the mirror for a day and I see someone who out of love is obeying Jesus and giving allegiance to him? What could I do? 
And I thought I could find a bunch of people in the Bible and we could walk through together the life of Abraham and Sarah, their lives. Or we could walk through Moses or Joseph or Daniel or Job or Paul. But, but my mind was drawn instantly to this, this segment of the book of Hebrews that's all about endurance. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Hebrews 12, verse 12. There's this whole section on endurance. And there are these two key pieces for us today, two key things. The the guy that wrote about physical endurance, he had seven things. If you get those seven maxed out, two two key things. If you and I live in these two things really well. So in Hebrews, in that segment, if you get to chapter 10, verse 23, it says this. And listen for the clues because you'll know the answer before I tell you. Let us hold tightly without wavering. In other words, let us endure. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What did you get about that? out of that? Did you hear the one another? I, I was doing the Aggie thing. I was doing this when I was giving you the clues and everything. It, it, that was all about you do this life in this close relationship with a follower of Jesus, with other followers of Jesus. You do this in relationship with other people that follow Jesus as well. And then the chapter that follows in chapter 11, it's all these stories of people that endured. And, and you get down to the last six verses of chapter 11, and it's not just people that endured. It's people that that's paid the highest price, and yet they endured in faith to the very end. It's all about this relationship with each other that fuels that endurance. And then chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, then there's a second thing that's given See if you can find this before I tell you. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and you will run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We can run this race with endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus. One translation says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, putting our gaze on him, looking at him, being mindful of him. So, so here are these two massive keys to spiritual endurance, to sustaining obedience and allegiance, is to walk closely with followers of Jesus, and the key is closely with them, and then to fix your eyes on Jesus. So, so let, me, let me walk with those a little bit. And I'll tell you this, this is as much for me as it is on you, as it is for you. Because when I look at my life and, and I look in the mirror and see I, I, haven't, I haven't done well with the obedience piece and the allegiance piece of it, almost always one or both of these two things are missing in my life. So walking closely with followers of Jesus around here, that would usually mean being part of a vibrant small group. A small group of people that gather together but it could be something that's organically formed. It doesn't have a harbor name on it. It could be that very well. But it's a place where you would find inspiration and encouragement and challenge and prayer. When, when Marie and I joined a small group back decades ago, it, it completely changed our lives. To be around other people that could, could encourage us and we could see their lives and be inspired by them. They could challenge us. They could pray for us over and over and over again. And as time went by, maybe we could be that for them at times as well. But there had to be this closeness, there had to be this honesty. The first group we were in, fortunately, was a really honest group. 
And very quickly, we realized someone in the crowd uh, was vulnerable about a marriage that was about to die. Their marriage was about to die, and they asked for help and prayer. And, and we thought, whoa, like you don't hide stuff in this group. And we saw the love around that couple. We saw a couple come through that well. And another person shared something another week, and then another week, and then another week came Marie and I shared, this is what's wrecking our lives. This, this walking closely with followers of Jesus. When I don't, when you don't, we're lone rangers, and lone rangers get picked off. Right? Lone rangers get picked off. Sometimes, and this is important, sometimes there may be a problem that you or I, a sin you or I, are struggling with so much that being just with a generic small group isn't enough. The group is great, but maybe there comes a time that you or I might need to walk with some people who are walking the same walk with the same struggle. And so that may be around here at the harbor. It may be that um, uh, you are, you're part of a blended family. There's some unique things about that you're trying to sort out, and you're not getting answers to that. Maybe you need to, to be part of one of our small groups that's just formed of blended families. And, and walk the same thing and, and learn from them and grow from them and pray for each other. Maybe you're in the season of grief and, and the people in your small group love you, but you need to walk with some people that are also walking through deep grief right now. And you need to be part of a grief share group and, and walk beside others that can walk with you in that. Maybe you're battling addiction and you, you can't seem to win the battle. Maybe it's alcohol or drugs or sex or on and on and on, but you're battling an addiction. And maybe small group, which is great, but you need something more than that. You need to walk with ones in the very same struggle, which means recovery group may be exactly what you need. Maybe for you, and it may be an addiction as well, but maybe it's a sexual purity issue Maybe you've tried to, to get that, and that includes pornography. You've tried and tried and failed. And, and small group is great. Maybe you need to walk with some people in the same place. And so if yours is an opposite sex struggle, then we have revived groups for that. If it's a same sex struggle, we have struggle, we have living hope for that. And maybe, and we've seen this with this um, desire for sexual purity that's such a battle in our culture today. We, we found that sometimes someone needs like this, just this intensive time walking the walk with some others. And so Robert talked about this Faithful and True Men's Conference coming up. It's been done for years now out of uh, Wisconsin. And uh, people come from all over the world to Wisconsin for it. And now because it's such a passion here. Last year, now this year, uh, we, we brought it here as well. And I, I, know, I know 10 men that have been through this intensive weekend, and, and it has completely altered their life and their struggle around sexual purity. It is, is completely, it, it was a game changer for them. Now they've been able to, to walk side by side with others and with the encouragement, the prayers, and so forth, and, and to see, see their lives getting more and more aligned with Jesus' plan for them. And so I say that because this one, it's such a battle, and you may be in, a, in the best small group in the harbor but you may find you need something that's, that's like a laser to help you in this walk right now. So, so have that in mind. Have all of that in mind. It's like with, with physical training. If you're training to run a marathon, uh, you could do all kinds of exercise, and they could be good for you in some ways, but, but you better do a bunch of running if you're going to run a marathon. You need this laser focus on that. Or if, if you're going to do the MS-150, you can do a ton, a ton of running. That will help you some. You better do a lot of bike riding. You're going to die in the 150. If, you're to, if you want to swim a, a mile in the ocean before you jump in the deep end of the ocean, you better not just 
do a bunch of running and bike riding. You better do a bunch of swimming. It's specific. Same way with our battles as well, our struggles. Does that make sense? You doing Help Him Jesus now? Are you, you tracking with me? Okay. I saw some people texting. I was just, just wondering. Uh, okay, so, um, so, so that's, how, that's how endurance grows. That's how it turns out that, that you or I would look in the mirror, and more and more often we'd look in the mirror and see, I'm looking at someone who's, who's right now giving Jesus obedience and allegiance right now. More and more often the next day, the next and the next day. That's how. This is how endurance grows, walking closely with other followers of Jesus. And then the second piece of this is, is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I don't know any way that that really works well without beginning one's day with him. Beginning one's day with opening some scripture and, and reading and hearing from him and having some time in prayer. I just don't know any way that that works well. Otherwise, you miss the beginning of the morning. You don't have very much laser focus as the day very, very much just begins, but, but having some time around that in the morning as the day unfolds, finding things that will bring your attention back to him to fix your thoughts and mind and eyes on him again and again and again. I know for me, down through the years, and some of those years were in the oil business, some as a pastor, it's been having stuff in my office and home that remind me, that point me to him. It's been having music around me that reminds me of him. It's reading other books about him or about God or about spiritual faith. It, it's all those things. There was a two years in, I was telling Marie, I, I said, I'm, I'm growing in this, but I find myself at work, and, and I will start the day with him, and I'll drive off to work, and I'll jump in, and what, there's tons of meetings and all this stuff going on, and it'll be 4 o'clock, and I realize I hadn't thought of him since I left the house. And uh, so she bought me this ring that uh, has a fish on it, which is a symbol of Christianity, and it has a cross on it, and uh, and. Uh, Hey, there's some Aggies here, okay? And maybe you have a different allegiance, so you can relate to this as well. But like by this finger, that was my Aggie ring, ring finger because if you're an Aggie, there's this allegiance there. Maybe if you're Texas, it's the same for you. But, but I thought, I got to have the reminder. Man, the Aggie ring has been on a box for 30-some years now. Even, I need the reminder. I looked down today. I need the reminder to fix my eyes on Jesus. When I do, I see love and grace and hope. And sometimes I hear correction in the love and grace and hope. But when I'm gazing on him, I can't continue to sin. I just can't. I just can't. It's a massive part of of learning the endurance of, of a life of obedience and allegiance. The first piece of it is walking closely with other Christ followers, but the second piece is the most important of all, is, is learning to fix our eyes, fix our thoughts, fix our mind upon Jesus himself. It says in that passage that I read that your faith, if you have faith, your faith began in him. And he's the one that, that completes your faith as well. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. So then verse 12 Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, and he says to us, he says, this, this is the outcome if you, if you get this part right. All who are victorious, in other words, all those who continue to give obedience and allegiance to me, and, and you, you grow in this endurance, so all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and, and they will, okay, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it, and I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven for my God. And I will also write on them my new name. 
He's saying, when, if, if you're victorious, you'll be, you'll be these pillars in the temple of God in heaven. And there's this sense, the way he writes it and says it, there's this sense of, of this strength and permanence and stability. There's a sense, you'll, you'll be a pillar and that will never change. You will never crumble, you'll never break, you'll never collapse, that will never change. And, and he was writing this to people in a city that it hadn't been that long ago. They, they knew all the stories. They'd seen all the sketches of the city just being leveled completely. And they felt the tremors that had come different times and the lesser quakes come different times. And, and they never knew any sense of, of, of any physical permanence of structures. And Jesus is saying, guess what, guys? If, if you get this right, and he says that you're getting it right, like obedience, allegiance, and just, just continue that, just enduring that this is what's this is what to have you're going to be this this pillar that will never break never fracture never crack you'll be this significant part in the kingdom of heaven and on the pillar he says will be written the name of god in other words saying that you belong to god you belong to god and in the most literal translation of the verbiage about the new jerusalem most literally it says that that the name New Jerusalem will be written on you as well, meaning that you're a citizen of heaven. That is where your citizenship lies. You're a citizen of heaven. And then he says, then, then my new name will be written, meaning that, that you'll have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ in heaven. So we, the section ends with verse 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. That's us. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit says to you about this and to me about this. And I hear him saying, don't miss the simplicity that Jesus calls us to. Don't miss it. It's just about obedience and allegiance. That's it. There's not a third thing or a fourth thing or a fifth thing. If, if you get that right, everything else spills out of that. It, it's just there's this simplicity. All he asks is just give me your obedience, give me your allegiance. There's a simplicity around that. What I also hear in it, though, is that, that he understands our frailty. He understands our failures. He understands our sins. He understands that at conversion, we don't live this sinless life. But he understands, too, that he's put within us this, this desire, this passion to increasingly live without sin. He's given us the ability for that, and he's explained to us how. And the Hebrews passage says it so very well. It's explained to us to, to build the endurance to obey and to have this allegiance and everything. Then, then walk closely with other followers of Jesus. Not just walk with them, walk closely with them. Life revealed. Walk closely with them and fix your eyes on Jesus. That, that's how we endure. Have you now... Or recently, have you failed to endure that? Have you looked in the mirror? Would you look in the mirror today and say, hmm, I don't see a person living this radical obedience, this endurance right now. Is that the case? We can lose. We, our endurance can fail. I've been running for over 45 years. Uh, and 2018, with a non-running injury, I had to miss the, almost the entire year running, uh, which hadn't happened in all 45 years and all. So, And I did other aerobic exercises, but... In recent weeks, I've begun to run again, and, 
and my conditioning, my endurance is coming back again. And, and I know for me, that's what works best for me. And, and so I know the path to take. And so if I find that, man, my endurance, my physical endurance is down, I, I know what it means. It's just a matter of building back up again, mile after mile after mile, until I get to this point of endurance. And it's the same for you and me. If, you, if you're sitting there thinking, man, I, maybe not today, but I know the day is going to come when I look in the mirror and I don't see someone living this obedience, this allegiance. You're going to know what returns you to it. You know, it's walking closely with other followers of Jesus and above all, fixing your eyes upon him. Where are you now? Maybe you've never, you've never surrendered leadership to Jesus at all. You've never begun this life of obedience and allegiance and maybe that's where you are. And, and he, would be, he would be inviting you now to a new life in him with him forgiving your sins and opening the door to heaven for you and guiding you and walking with you and giving you this new life now. He's inviting you to that. Maybe that, that's your step. Maybe, maybe you're one of the ones who's sitting there thinking you've had this conviction from the Holy Spirit and it's not, not to destroy you or wreck you. It's to convict you for redemption's sake. You're, you've been sitting there thinking, that's me. If I, if I look in the mirror, I don't see the obedience and allegiance. And for you, it's just merely saying, it's just a confession. Please forgive me for my lack of obedience, lack of allegiance. Please forgive me for the sins that I've been walking in. And, and help me now rebuild my endurance. Help me now rebuild my endurance of obedience and allegiance. And, and, and maybe, maybe you're good right now. Thank him for all the growth he's done right now. Where are you right now? What is your response to him this day? Father, I'm so grateful that you really made life with you and life following you very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. Simply a life out of love to give obedience and allegiance to your son Jesus. Simple as that. Not more complicated. If, if I only have energy for two things, then those are the two things. May I not uh, use up my energy on other things. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Father, I'm thankful for um, sweet conviction when you give it to me or give it to one in this room, sweet conviction that says, uh, this is not the life I made you for, not the life I saved you for. I saved you for so much more. And I'm so grateful that all it takes is me confessing and saying, I'm so sorry. I, help me back to this path of obedience and allegiance and, and help me build endurance toward that. And Father, I'm so thankful that you, you've shown us how. If we've been on this zigzag up and down, up and down, up and down. We know how to change that. We know how to get rid of the drops one after another, where it's just more and more this upward progression. We know how to do that because you've shown us. May we, Father, now be speaking to you out of our hearts, out of response, God, your spirit has spoken to us personally now. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, please.
Sunday.